Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful and brilliant co-hosts. Both of them are wonderful and brilliant. Uh, Kirsten Korsak. Hi, Kirsten. Hello. And Alex Roy. Alex. My friends, hello. I think that that was actually sort of a backhanded insult directed towards Alex because typically Alex usually raises me up and sort of, you know, puts you down a bit on the intro. And here you were saying like equally and you really, really pushed that line. Actually, I think he insulted you, Kirsten, because to put Um, you and I on the same level is to drag you down. (laughs) I just I just like you guys both equally. And respect and appreciate you both equally. Great. That, that's very kind. But we need to let's roll into this episode because I have a special operation to return to. Oh, okay. That's right. Special ops. You, which you, you, uh, you parachuting in somewhere? You gotta you gotta drop soon. It's pretty special. And to be clear, I will recuse myself from certain topics in this episode, as I do from time to time, and I will wall myself off ethically from certain remarks. Uh, and I speak as myself, not as Argo AI. So boring now. <laughs> it's okay because our listeners know that you will like eventually say something great. So it's fine. Eventually. Be patient. Eventually. Where do we start this episode? I mean, I think we need to start by talking about Cruz. Yeah, that is the big the big news. Oh. And and plus we get a few minutes without Alex. Yes. Well, why don't you do this? We'll get into it and then you can provide a footnote or two if you'd like. Sure. Maybe I'll get a soundboard and just use like Jim Cramer sounds. Start talking. Okay. <laughs> all right, Kirsten. I mean, you. I I've been on vacation, so uh, I right. you and and you were all over this story. Um, actually, wait, guys. Actually, I'm sorry. I do have to chime in right now. Okay. All right. Let me fr- let me set it up for you, Kirsten. Okay. okay. So on what day is today? Thursday. So on Tuesday, uh, I'm very busy in the middle of an Argo special operation, and. Uh, during the lunch break, several people beside me are looking at the Mueller, uh, you know, testimony because, oh, Bob Mueller, it is the biggest news of the day. And what a coincidence that on the day of the Mueller um, hearings that I get a Slack message suggesting that there's another piece of news conveniently dropped on the day of the biggest story of modern American political history. But you're wrong. <laughs> it came out on Wednesday. <laughs> wasn't was Mueller Wednesday? Well, you kicked off the whole story talking about Tuesday. Oh, so fine. So it was Wednesday. <laughs> Whatever. Time flies in special operations, and so someone over there decided that, that was the right time to drop the news. And what was the news, Kirsten? Well, actually, I <laughs> I will tell you right now that 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 was. I seriously doubt that it was timed with that piece. Actually. Uh- are you I, think it, I think that it was timed with something else, but I don't think it was timed with the Mueller testimony. What was it timed with? Possibly the same day as Tesla earnings. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. But I think that the, the thing is, is that there's something was brewing for a long time. And here's a story in case anyone like didn't, you know, look at their smartphone. Um, on Wednesday and hasn't heard anything since Cruz is not going to deploy their robo taxi service in 2019. If you read the blog post, that piece of information is I think on graph 10 or 11 
there is a lot to unpack on the blog post. And I did interview the CEO, Dan Ammon. And um, I actually, I'm hoping to put together another piece soon because there's a lot that obviously the focus is on missing this timeline or deciding not to do this timeline. Um, and I will say this, I'm not going to like sit here and say cruise is terrible or cruise is great, but I'm going to give them credit for finally waking up and saying that, that, that it would be a mistake to do it. That's where, that's the one piece of credit because they were the last holdouts. They were one of the last companies that was holding on to this incredibly ambitious timeline that everyone, I mean, if you look at my Twitter comments or like, if you were to look at my emails, half the comments were like, yeah, we all knew that. Yeah. We all knew that that was going to happen. And, um, you know, I'm glad that they, because the other possibility was that they w- would have gone ahead and launched. Right. And that's impossible. Well, yeah, we've seen plenty of companies put stuff out there and see what happens. Like Navia? <laughs> well, we'll get to that. But no, I mean, I think there, you know, there are companies, right? I mean, you, you famously sort of, talked about uh, um, like Aptiv's uh, Las Vegas deployment um, and, you know, uh, without passing judgment on the state of their technology, it's pretty clear that like, you know, a lot of the tough stuff is still being, has always been done sort of manually there. And I, I could imagine something like that, right? If, if you just want to get cars out on the road, you can do something like that where you know, maybe for part of certain trips, you know, technically the vehicle is in autonomous mode, but really like, it's not like this is anywhere approaching a, a, a driverless ready kind of situation. Right. I mean, actually I, to me was the more interesting thing here. I mean, they've got a lot going on, but they technically already have a massive service that they're, and they're just using all of their employees, which is a totally different issue. Yeah. They have 1500 employees. Now they are going to, and based on my conversations with them and also their blog post, are going to be having the there are 180 cars out on the road like all the time now. Hmm. And that means that more of their employees are going to be using this quote unquote ride sharing service app. They want it to be used as much as possible. So they have essentially done a different they've used a different tactic to get the same result in a way, which is what Waymo did when Waymo had vetted, you know, their early rider program. They vetted all those people, all those people signed NDAs, and then they were able to use them. Cruise is just using all of their employees. Yeah. What's, what's interesting to me is like, what, under what circumstances do you want your employees riding around in your vehicles on a regular basis, but not the public? Well, so that was a question I, I, um, I had, I want to get into and I had asked, which was, um, and it wasn't to Dan, to be fair. It was like later I was talking to someone of our crews and, and had mentioned this. And I said, you know, it's kind of interesting, but you, your engineers and the people who are using this within your company are probably noticing some things that the public doesn't. However, you guys are probably missing a lot that the public will. And once you go and launch this service, you might come to this stunning realization that you've actually like hadn't thought about this one thing because if all of your employees or most of them, most of them who are engineers, that's a very specific type of person. They're going to pick up on all sorts of things that, that, that maybe someone else won't, but it also means that they're possibly totally blind to some other things. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a common phenomenon in, in all kinds of different areas that, you know, you think that the closer you are to something, the better you see it. But actually, oftentimes, having some remove from it and uh, sort of seeing it with fresh eyes, right? I mean, this is with with editing, for example, right? Like, just having someone new who's not super familiar with something you've been working on for a long time, like a piece, uh, look at it, like, they will see things that you and maybe even a collaborator that you've been working with for a long time on it just absolutely won't see. Now, I hate to chime in here because, of course, you're going to all say I'm biased. But let me say something in Cruz's defense, okay. which is San Francisco is a very tough geofence. For sure. Put, putting a, a civilian in there versus putting a civilian in a Waymo car in the Chandler geofence is a very different cactus to swallow. <laughs> God, that analogy again. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, you can NDA your passengers all you want, but at the end of the day, the risk of having, I mean, you've seen what the information has done to Waymo and other, you know, companies that they didn't necessarily have firsthand experience in the car. Can you imagine the wrong reporter or cranky troll or Tesla fan gets into a cruise car and you know, under a fake name or identity and just trashes it. So, and whether or not it actually had a, a disengagement, which was uncomfortable, who knows? Right. So I'm actually going to say that Cruise is wise not to allow pub, the public as passengers in that, in the San Francisco fence at this time for yeah. now. Right. No, that's, and I, that's something I'm agreeing with. I'm saying that everyone's giving them a hard time for, missing their deadline or whatever. And what I'm saying is that it's possibly the most responsible thing that they have done so far. I've always said, I've always pushed back against any company that puts out a timeline publicly. It is completely okay to have a timeline internally. That makes a lot of sense. Employees have something to shoot for. But also, if it's not safe, then they can. it's not a big deal. Timelines are put out publicly to jack up share prices or make investors happy or to get new funding. And there's really no other reason to do that. You you touch except for that. Yeah, you touched on something earlier too, which I think is 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 really true. If there is a criticism to be made of Cruise here, I think it is that like wh- why did they wait so long? I mean, the, you know, they've been talking about this goal for for a long time now. Um, they've also had other goals about like, for example, the number of miles that they're going to have uh, collect per month and and things like that and. And, and it seems like they've, you know, I think if you look at a lot of the, the pieces, there's also been some just brutal reporting that we've discussed here on the show by, you know, Reuters and I think Wired and a number of outlets, the, the information, information. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about the very real challenges that they've uh, run up against in sort of, as Alex says, this, uh, this most prickly of, of cactuses <laughs> uh, that is San Francisco. Um, and so, you know, to some extent, it's like, the, the the strange the strange part of this to me or the thing that, you know if I wanted to be critical about this it, it would be sort of like why did it take them so long what does it say that it took them so long to acknowledge essentially something that people on the outside could kind of see to some extent or 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 at least sense yeah 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 I mean I think that there's a couple of reasons why for one um, they had a change in leadership. Mm. And that happened about six months ago. Um, They're also were working on big deals with, you know, they've raised $7.25 billion, I think so far, right? 
they had another funding round that had come in. They got um, investment from um, T. Rowe Price and Associates and some initial uh, additional SoftBank. Yeah, additional investment, um, more skin in the game, if you will. So essentially now the way that the company is set up is it is a quote-unquote independent company that has a majority shareholder. That majority shareholder is GM. But now there's Honda, T. Rowe Price, SoftBank. All that was happening. And those things take time. And at the same time, also, you you can companies that think that they're close, it can be very hard to back down from that, especially companies that are, are known for being aggressive and pushing things out. And so... You know, not necessarily irresponsibly. I'm just saying the company that feels like they need to get it out, they might be pushing things a little bit harder. So it might have just been, um, you know, my sense of things is that they did a six month update. You know, they they looked at what the next steps were and what they had to do to deploy by the end of the year and realized they were not going to hit that mark. And so then made the tough call. And they had two choices. They could still they could do something super small. And get it in by 2019, which we all would have completely criticized and called fake. They could decide to punt on the timeline, you know, or they could do the most irresponsible thing, which is like, you know, go all gangbusters and put it out there, but know that it wasn't safe enough yet or it wasn't performing at the level. So really, I think that they chose the best option. Yeah, no, totally. And I think one of the the factors in this and and Kirsten, you and I sort of uh, did an episode uh, without Alex uh, a few weeks back, um, just sort of about this this kind of game, for lack of a better term. It's it's you know a guy from SoftBank compared it to a poker game. We were sort of comparing it to like Risk or whatever. Um, but, but there is definitely like a a real you know sort of poker table mentality to a lot of you know how a lot of these companies approach this space. Where you know um, obviously part of it is the the fake it till you make it you know sort of mentality that comes out of Silicon Valley, but but like, you know, there's definitely a sense of, of you know, it, that it's been at least up until now or the last year or so, um, it's been an effective strategy to, to bluff to a certain extent, right? I mean, that's that bluffing has has been rewarded in the market, I think, or at least by investors, um, which, you know, you can kind of blame the companies, but ultimately you have to blame the investors for, you know, for being willing to reward those kinds of behaviors. And then, of course, you know, as everyone at the table starts to back away from their their bluffs, then you have to as well. And, and how do you do that while maintaining credibility? It is a, it is a difficult situation, um, but at the same time, I mean, we were we did our our episode about uh, with Mike Ramsey of Gartner about his uh, uh, trough of disillusionment um, a year ago. Yeah, just coming up on a year. Did you guys read the Brad Templeton column on the cruise uh, announcement? No. He basically says that uh, selecting a single fence that's super complex uh, is basically an act of vanity because San Francisco is where everyone happens to live and that it would have been wiser to go to simpler fences or more fences um, so your success or failure isn't tied to a single location. I mean, here's the thing. It's like, Every single there's plenty to criticize or critique for all of these companies, but ripping on a company because they choose something that is simpler, so they don't have like a, a or or are slower, so they don't like mess up basically. Because here's the one thing that 
Dan Ammon told me, which I, I think is the, the most responsible thing. And it's the very, most true thing is that if they mess up, it is over essentially. Yeah. And they know that. Yeah. So for a company to go a little bit slower, I don't really think that that if we're talking safety and if safety is the most important thing, that's fine. As long as the company at the same time isn't talking about how amazingly fast and ahead they are. So you refer yeah. to like your boy Elon? Yeah. So I think it's, it, we should, <laughs> we're yeah, reaching I a mean, point in this conversation right. where we need to, we need to address that, uh, that elephant in the room. Right. Well, so that's what I mean. I mean, why, why, if Cruz is actually, Cruz's reputation of being like amb- ambitious and aggressive, and every, every one of these autonomous vehicle companies like has a different reputation, right? And Cruz is definitely considered like the aggressive, ambitious one. However, they did just show that they have a, a limit to that. No, there's an adult over there. That, yeah. And that puts them in stark contrast. You can say lots of other things about the culture there or whatever you want, but, but there, that does show that they could have done a different, they could have made a different choice and they chose to do the one that will take potentially longer and they, you know, they're eating their crow and that's fine. There are other companies out there, Tesla specifically, that is definitely not doing that, right? So, I mean, Tesla at this point is sort of the last company that is still in pre-trough of disillusionment mode, right? Uh, is, are there others? <laughs> in terms oh, of, I mean, I guess technically, uh, I mean, who else has put out a timeline? Ford has 2021, right? Target, yes. Although they, they have also said, right, hasn't Brian Selesky said that that's, you know, dependent on circumstances on the ground as they approach it? I, I think so. I, I believe I believe that is something that he has said, yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a conflict for Alex, who works there, to confirm that, but he's silent right now, so I'm going to guess that he doesn't want it. Well, well, I mean, I, I again, I don't speak for Argo. Right, right. I speak for myself. But yeah, 2021 is the target date. Right. I'm asking you as a as an informed person. So okay, so so what other companies um, have put out a timeline that is? I mean, there's definitely some timelines out there, but maybe not in the same regard in terms of like deploying commercially at scale X. But Tesla is one that absolutely does do that. So I think that they might be. I mean. Pretty much everyone else has backed off of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and what's fascinating is, is that, I mean, right, to me, it's it having, having you know, studied for, uh, you know, the, the sort of fan culture and just sort of the culture inside and around Tesla. Um, I mean, I think this is this is sort of, to some extent, the, the dark side. You know, and Alex, you've written sort of about about Tesla's ability to sort of communicate in, in sort of unprecedented ways uh, relative to other, other players in the, in the space, um, you know, Elon Musk's power, power as a communicator and as a <laughs> cultural figure. And, and clearly there's a lot of good that goes along with that for the company and its investors, et cetera. Um, but I think this is, you know, this sort of illustrates what to me is, is one of the scary aspects of that, which is that, you know, there's, because he inspires such faith and such confidence. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's also very difficult to 
to criticize that, right? Um, and 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 to be seen as as a constructive contributor to to Tesla's you know goals or, or viability, right? It's like if you question anything that Elon Musk says, you know, you must be short the stock, you must be in the pay of big oil, blah 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 blah. And and so like it, it kind of this feels to me like one of those situations where you know it would be in well. It may it would be in Tesla's best interest to sort of join the movement away from this sort of brinksmanship and 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 bluffing. Now you're, you're totally wrong, dude. You're totally wrong. Oh yeah, and I love your okay. book, Ed. But let's be serious. Uh, any anyone who reads there. Um, Nassim Taleb knows that Elon Musk is playing like the same game that like Donald Trump plays, which is forward looking statements don't have to be accurate. They just don't have to be. Um, just, just lie as much as you want. Well, you could exaggerations are part of the game, the great game of optics and life. So as you pointed out in your own column that you published today, or by the time this airs, it was a day or two ago, that Tesla absolutely depends on the full self-driving capability payments. That's absolutely essential. Right. Uh, whether or not it's delivered in the next year, two, or three, they have people have to pay six thousand dollars now. I've got an interesting. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys ever read the the owners' forums at all? Well, before Kirsten, if I may just add one more one more thing before you you talk about that, Kirsten. Two, a couple of days ago, there was this crash where a some a, a young lady rented a, t- a Tesla on Getaround and crashed it and killed someone in San Francisco. The owner of the Tesla stated uh, the day of the crash that it's so sad that full, that self driving capabilities of Teslas are limited by regulators. So these people paying this money to Tesla, whether or not it works ever for them, doesn't matter. They believe that because Musk has created this myth that the government, someone is out to stop him from deploying. That is the game he's playing. I don't believe for a second he believes this stuff's going to deploy next year, and it doesn't matter, at least not to him or the people who are paying. Uh, and that's the reality. And that's why he'll never back down. He's going it, to miss every deadline until the company goes under or he delivers it anywhere. At which point, oh, Alex Troy predicts Tesla bankruptcy. Get the fanboys after him. Yeah. Oh, hey. He will deliver level four in a parking garage the way Daimler announced yesterday they will in Germany or some place. Who knows? So, Well, they've been working on the whole that, – that Daimler um, – <laughs> Bosch thing they've been working on since 2015. That's I wrote about that because that is a, that is it is a totally different application. But they've been, it's something that they've been actually working towards for a really long time. It has super limited capabilities right now, but they're like trying to figure out this way of taking Bosch sensors and uh, Daimler Tech and meshing them together. Will it work out? You know, you never know. But that's something they've been working on for freaking four years. So. So Alex, I want to I want to address sort of what you said about Taleb really quick, if that's okay. Because I mean, I, and and just sort of your your I don't know was that a defense of Elon Musk? I'm not sure what exactly it was. It, it's not a defense; it's an observation. Okay. Well, I Musk can, he can you can call it a lie or an exaggeration. It's part of his grand strategy is to buy time and and protect the stock price. That's all. That's all that's happening. So yeah, no, I mean. I, I agree, and and I think what I what I wrote in in this most recent piece that you just referenced is that you know 
basically they've made sort of the cultural choice to to run the company and to develop a culture a certain way at Tesla. Um, and 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 the choices that they've made have have not been to sort of like make their core building and selling cars business, you know, really viable um, and sustainable financially. Um, but instead, they're sort of ha- constantly selling a growth story, um, and a, you know, just you wait until this you know game changing technology that's right around the corner is ready, sort of thing. And 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 the tr- the trade off is that you know now they don't you know they they said that that their plan was to have a a self sustaining growth, uh, you know, funding their own growth from from profits, you know, f- forever after Q three uh, of last year. And that just hasn't happened. And now they're back to exactly what they were doing before, which was, again, selling a growth story and saying, just wait for this new technology. What's changed is that over time, they've had to, A, leave behind a string of unfulfilled promises, which hurt their credibility. And like the one that to me is most emblematic of this is, you know, drive for free, you know, forever on the power of the sun, right? Like every supercharger is going to be 100%, you know, off grid, solar, uh, and, and completely free. For all Tesla owners, I mean that it's just they're not even close. They haven't even really, I think, made a, a serious effort to make all their solar, uh, all their superchargers solar powered. Now, is that the end of the world for Tesla? Maybe not. But but the point is, is that because this culture, you know, um, has is so deeply entrenched at, at Tesla that you know they tried to get out of it and sort of approach the business in a different way, and it hasn't worked, and they've reverted to it. Um, part, a symptom of that is that the sort of big thing that's right around the corner that they've always had to have throughout the history of the company has, it, they've had to escalate that and escalate that and escalate that. And it's reached a point now where it is an all out bet on something that to me, and I think to a lot of people that, that we've talked to certainly um, is, you know, there's a vanishingly small chance that they'll actually be able to deliver on that. And so on full self-driving. Mean, yeah. And, and that to me is, you know, you can justify it for sure. I mean, you can justify almost anything. Um, but to me, it's really tragic that a company like Tesla can contribute as much as they have to the car business. And then the whole thing kind of comes, ends up coming down to, you know, can they, can they deliver on something that was really just sort of a wildly, you know, in my opinion, absurd uh, and, and desperate ploy? Like that's, that's, is that, is that how, Tesla, like, does that how Tesla deserves to, you know, have have their whole company come down to? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like their accomplishments have earned sort of, you know, the right or at least the the hope in my mind that 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 they could be more than that, better than that. But but that's what it's come down to. And to me, it's it's tragic. Well, hashtag no one cares. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think cares. I think I think actually Alex is a good. Um, lens to look through this too and as to why i i see and i'm not calling you a tesla fanboy in the in the pejorative right i love my tesla right right. so that's exactly my point i think people are willing to go all in in the belief system and i'm not saying alex is one of those people because you also happen to work within the world of autonomous vehicle technology and so you understand what the limitations are but many people outside of that they love driving that car and it has a specific emotion to them. And they're completely unable to divorce themselves of like separating the love for the car and then being a critical thinker. And so instead they were just completely all in on it. And so 
I see this as they sell more and more of these vehicles, that kind of going on for a while. I don't think it's going to end nearly as soon as Ed, I think, thinks. I don't, I don't think it's, it's going to happen necessarily really soon. I, I haven't said that, but I do think that, um, you know, the risks are such that they can't back away from it now. Um, and, and that, that's really scary. And, and I think there's a number of reasons, right? One is, you know, just refunding all of the money that they've gotten for full self-driving is going to be very expensive. The civil liability potentially. Of- They're never going to do that. They're never going to do that. Never. Why? Well, because they can't, they can't afford to. Well, but, um, it, well. It's the same reason. It's the same reason they're never going to, you know, completely stop production at GA4 and, and put in a production system that is actually designed with the ergonomics of workers in mind. Uh, see the latest CNBC reporting about this. Um, and, and, you know, and, and that allows them to, you know, even, you know, screw down all the bolts that they need to their station. It, it, they've, they've, and this is the thing with Tesla, like the, the worst decisions that they make, it's not, they don't set out to do bad things. It's that they, they are constantly like the combination of ambition and sort of challenges of, of being in this business sort of force them to do increasingly desperate stuff. And to me, full self-driving is the, is the culmination of that. And, and again, the one other thing besides the risk of, of right, uh, 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 having to pay people back money, civil liability lawsuits, potentially even criminal charges. I don't think you can completely take that, that possibility off the table, mm. but I don't think those are the real risks. To me, the real risk is, and, and I did a little bit of research into what the take rate is for full self-driving and based on very sketchy data that's publicly available. And so do not take this to the bank, but it's, it looks like it's over 50%, uh, the take rate for full self-driving. Now, you know, how many people are buying Teslas as a sort of call option on a future revenue stream from a, from an autonomous or, or whether it's a future revenue stream or like the fact that, or the, the idea that, that it's going to appreciate in value. That's almost impossible to assess because most uh, pe- people who do that might lie about why they were doing it. Sure. And there are plenty of people who just like the idea of buying, like they don't want to it's a little bit of FOMO. They don't want to like miss out on it. So they get it now. Right. But my point is, is that, is that if confidence starts to erode in Tesla's ability to deliver that, um, it's not like the, one of the impacts on that is going to be on demand for their vehicles, which is already in a tenuous spot as witnessed by the fact that they've had to do a lot of discounting and price changes and things like that in order to keep their their sales growing as we saw just in the last last quarter's financial results. I will say this, you know, um, Tesla's, you know, based on earnings yesterday, which were very interesting because here they have, you know, are selling cars. They're selling a lot of cars. Um, their margins though are like, you know, narrowing, eroding, yeah. becoming more compressed. Yep. And, you know, that's for a number of reasons. And they're trying to maintain the same level of like service and experience, but they're trying to cut costs. So it's like, that is a struggle that they are finding themselves in. But if you were to pay attention to earnings that also came out today from other companies, (laughs) like a lot of automakers are struggling with a lot of the same stuff. They're just making different mistakes, right? Like, like what, what are you referring to here? Be specific. Well, I believe Daimler, um, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I believe that they had a pretty substantial loss that they just reported. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, you have this combination of of um, you know huge investments in electric and autonomous technology, while at the same time, you know, the market is not on an upswing anymore. Hey guys, may I make a prediction here, and Ted's <laughs> not going to like it. So, all right. So, if Tesla hangs, if Tesla hangs by a thread, based on people continuing to believe FSD is going to show up, Elon's going to deploy. FSD level four in like a super tight limited fence in a, a a year or two or three before the first leases expire. Okay, it's going to be really really limited. His comms people, I predict, will launch a campaign announcing that they're under attack by regulators, or maybe they'll they'll set it up so they deploy and they are under attack. It's like a it's a state that is is you know difficult and then they will tell everybody guys we're going to get out from underneath this regulation or this scrutiny any day now keep up those fsd deposits and and all these fanboys will come out of the woodwork and order new cars and pay for fsd that's possible um you know what i'm keeping them on a hook for another three years yeah so i noticed i noticed something interesting uh i alluded to a little bit earlier i do all listen to the or read the forums much anymore uh, i don't i don't as much as i used to or at least i haven't over the last few months but but yeah no i try and read them at least a little bit every day yeah so i i saw something and i haven't been able to vet it out so i don't know i was curious what your take take is on this but um someone noted that the used uh the used vehicles listed on there you know they used to list well first of all we know that they've taken away free supercharging now unlimited for life so it used to be that like once if you bought the car at that time uh it would just remain forever that's gone now yeah. and so it's an opportunity to make more money right because that you know that they're they're adjusting that sort of business model yeah but this person um also mentioned that uh full self driving isn't listed on any of these cars anymore and they used to be like they're the comparing. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm so, sorry. Say that on say that again. Used cars. So so it was vehicles that had been were like they used to be. You could buy them used through the inventory of Tesla. Yeah. And let's say it was like uh, models S with full self driving. Mm. You know, and it. Okay, so FSD is disappearing on used inventory. Right, but then, but then. Then they're keeping the price. Well, this and this is again, I haven't been able to vet this. So let's say it's a seventy thousand dollar vehicle with full self driving. The full self driving is being removed, and the car is still like being listed for sixty eight thousand dollars or sixty nine thousand dollars. And then you could like buy the full self driving. Hmm. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me, right? And I think that's the other thing is not only does full self driving um, boost the the number of people who who want to buy Tesla or maybe will justify spending more than they could afford on a Tesla or something like that. Um, it also is completely responsible for their margins as far as we can tell. I mean, not as you said, their margins are compressing. Um, and, you know, this software, because of their, their challenges on the manufacturing side, um, the, the software components of these sales, the software related revenue is really critical to, to the margins because, you know, there's no, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the cost to develop that software is pretty low. And once you sell enough to amortize the development cost, it's, it's a hundred percent profit. Um, so, you know, potentially again, if, and I agree with Alex, it's not a given that people will, 
will uh, lose faith in this stuff. I mean, autonomous vehicle technology is very complex and most people really don't understand it. And frankly, you shouldn't really be expected to, to be able to understand it. Um, but if, if, that, if that were to happen, if there were a loss of confidence uh, broadly, um, the effect would be not only on potentially on, on sales volume, but also certainly on, on profit margins. Because then they're just selling, they're having to sell the car. And again, as, we, as we've seen again and again, the, the fundamentals of that, just making and selling the car part. You, you know, Ed, while you're talking, I'm on the Tesla website configuring another Tesla. I think I might lease a second one. Okay. Well, I just love my car. And I'm thinking that I could leave it on the West Coast, put it on Toro with a friend, and just pay for itself. Okay. So you're like, you're bi coastal by signaling. It, well, I mean, you know something. I mean, I don't, know about yeah, you guys. You I, I don't care about full self driving anymore. And if I get a second one, I'm not going to pay for it. You know, th- if that thing works, it's not going to work anywhere I go. I don't care. And 6K is a ripoff for the four features listed underneath it anyway. I mean, so it's going to be seven grand soon. So to be clear, why, why, why did you can. buy it? Uh, you lease it. Oh no, okay. But why did you? Why did you get the the FSD no, option? But why did you pick it? Because I felt that if I'm going to write columns about Tesla's functionality, that I should be authoritative and not rely on renting them or borrowing the cars, that I should have it live with it every day. And when I'm in Pittsburgh driving to Argo AI's office, I use it okay, so all, every day. Autopilot. That's autopilot. You're, yeah, you're, so. you're confident that it, over the course of your three-year lease, that there will be something for FSD. No, no. no. Absolutely not. But if there is, you want to be able to assess it. Of course. Um, of course. I mean, but if you take the $6,000 number and you and you divide it by the features listed under FSD capability, what a ripoff. Absolutely garbage. Pointless. Yeah. Well, and to, to your earlier point, too, about, about sort of the timing in terms of the lease stuff, I mean, you know, the full self-driving was introduced, again, as a level five system in October of 2016, which means that the first three-year leases uh, of people who bought, at least to some extent, you know, uh, the, with with the with the full self-driving option, those start this year. Those start in October of this year. So if Tesla doesn't have something to show uh, for full self-driving, semblance of it, well, they could they could they could argue though. I mean, here's the thing: it's not like nothing has changed. If you got full self-driving, which then turned into enhanced autopilot and then came back and, you know, it's been called something different a few times, they, the, there have been some new things that have happened. Navigate on autopilot is one. You don't have that on regular autopilot. Yeah, but navigate on autopilot is basically a comedy feature. It's not an actual useful feature. It, it's not apparent to me that it adds any value. Yeah, um, I, I think that... that- you know, there's a very real risk that in by November of this year, that there will have been at least a certain number of people who leased a Tesla in 2016 uh, and selected the full self-driving option. Their lease will expire and they will really like not have received anything that could be reasonably described as even a semblance of what Tesla promised. And I think that is the point at which as, as Alex rightly pointed out, that is the point at which things start to get genuinely problematic. And, and again, for me, you know, I, I, I know that the term fraud gets, has been thrown around. <laughs> no, I, it has been thrown around with Tesla way too much. And I think that a lot of the shorts 
have really hurt their own credibility by being way too quick uh, to use that that term and to apply it to things that really I don't think qualify. And I'm not saying that that full self driving is fraudulent, but I'm saying it it at the point that we are very close to consumers having spent thousands of dollars for a feature that over the course of their three year lease was never delivered in any kind of meaningful way. That to me takes Tesla closer to a Theranos type of situation than they've ever been before. I don't think anything they've done so far really comes comes as close as that. And and again, to me, if you like Tesla, if you love Tesla, if you appreciate what they've done, why do you want to see that company in that position? So we I think we should uh we should uh also you know shift the conversation briefly at least to uh to Navia. Um, which is the an autonomous well, I'm shuttle ready company. To talk, I'm ready to stop talking about Tesla. So yeah, we're good. I, I, I got the I got that sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I went I went quiet for a reason, and also the deep size. So yeah. let's do this. Let's end it with Navia, a company that no one's heard of or cares about. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, no, let's end it with this because they're actually a really interesting company, and they've kind of like stepped in it twice now, right? A little bit. I mean, I think it's another case. So I wrote a piece about this at the drive. Um, and uh, a great piece. That was a great piece. Thank you, Alex. That's, that's I learned everything I wanted to know about them, verifying my belief that they're they're kidding. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know that they're kidding necessarily. I think what they're what they're trying to do, right? And and so we've talked about uh, on the show about how you know uh, there are some companies um, that have that have sort of been able to start to develop a business have done so by really limiting the domain uh, where they're trying to operate. And Navia is one of those companies, right, where they make these low-speed shuttles um, that are very kind of basic and therefore uh, relatively affordable compared to other uh, autonomous vehicles, uh, which mostly don't even exist, uh, and they're available. Um, and and but, but what Navia has done is um, they've really uh, jumped on their opportunity to be one of the only publicly traded, uh, uh, well, let's say one of the only autonomous vehicle companies that has a actual business right now. And so they are publicly traded. They IPO'd, I think last year. Um, and they have come under a lot of financial pressure as a result. I think their, their valuation is down 72% from the high. They fired the CEO last December because sales were not up to what they projected or, or hoped for. Um, and so that has created a lot of pressure on them to you know, keep their costs low and aggressively sell, you know, these shuttles or lease in some cases these shuttles to to cities. And and on the other hand, there are also the other piece of this is that there are cities who have, uh, you know, who really want to seem like they're on the cutting edge of technology and innovation. And like one of these shuttles is one of the most affordable and from certain perspective low risk ways to uh, you know get an autonomous vehicle on your road with a relatively low risk that it's going to like run someone down and kill them. Um, like like the sort of the Uber Tempe situation, but I think you know that all those pressures combine to still create something that, though again, not presenting a, a, a fundamental threat to the the lives certainly of of people, it it does uh, seem as though corners have been cut, and this has not been these pressures have have pushed both the cities and the and and the company Navia to to um, get ahead of themselves, and I think this is sort of a microcosm. In a way of uh, of the broader situation we're talking about here, and now aren't these the same guys who uh, had the joystick like locked behind the door? 
Yeah. So, so they um, had a shuttle. One of their first deployments was in Nevada and there was a crash with media on board. But then, you know, again, this is, they were backed into by a semi truck that was like in an alley that was there for like a delivery or whatever. And basically all the passengers watched as this vehicle, as this semi semi truck backed into them in like slow motion. Um, And the, the Navi shuttle was unable to reverse itself out of the way. It was unable to, it did not have a sort of like, you know, flashing light or noise based sort of way to alert that, that truck to its presence. And the little Xbox controller that is used uh, to uh, manually control it was not immediately uh, accessible enough for the safety or, you know, the, the attendant or whatever to get them out of the way. And like, you know, so, so they were not at fault, right? If you get hit, you're not at fault. However, um, it also, it really highlighted the, the crudeness of the system. And now just the other day um, I wrote this piece because there was another incident in, in Vienna where again, a passenger, a, a pedestrian, apparently on their headphones, not paying attention, whatever, walk directly into the shuttle um, that does not have sort of side sensors. Again, has no way of sort of getting people's attention and signaling, hey, I'm here and I'm probably not going to be able to move out of your way. Um, and, and it just has one failure mode, which is stop and don't move. And, you know, from a purely legalistic perspective, maybe that, you know, that makes sense because you can't be in an outfall crash. However, you can still contribute to suboptimal outcomes, as Alex Roy might say. Did you say suboptimal? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It is a, a Alex term of it. I don't know what what an Alexism. Can we use that? You may. Okay. Um. I here. Here's how I'd like to leave it. I want everyone who's listening to it to think about how many times more these sort of low speed incidents are going to happen in the next uh, two years. Alex? Hmm. Are we going to get to a point where it's going to be so common that it's not going to even be newsworthy anymore? Or is it still going to be newsworthy two years from now? There'll be five more, mostly in Asia. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and what's funny about this question, Kirsten, is that while I was writing this piece about Navia, um, Easy Mile, which is another company that's in that same category of, of sort of low-speed shuttles trying to build a business in, in the here and now, um, they had an incident while – the news broke while I was writing the piece. I didn't even see it until after the piece broke um, where uh, they had just – the, the shuttle had just braked really, really aggressively um, uh, apparently to avoid some kind of obstacle or to avoid hitting some kind of obstacle. And uh, where the passengers had been injured because there was no seatbelt or, or anything like that. It's just a, a room where you sort of stand or, or sit without a seatbelt. Um, so, I mean, already that <laughs> that was another one. So I think it will be more than five over the next two years. I also think that um, they will be in in the U.S. primarily, also Europe. I, I don't agree that that Asia is going to be the likely uh, spot where, where these shuttle um, issues happen, but. I think it's going to become as common, especially as more and more of these deploy that we're going to, uh, two years from now, it's going to be something that's going to happen like on a, certainly on a monthly basis and possibly on like a weekly or bi-weekly basis, in my opinion. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, Kirsten, it's not, I feel like it's not that often when you're the most like doom and gloom predictor of all of us. Well, I don't, I, I don't, I just, if you think about how many people in, for example, New York City have been um, killed by um, on their bicycle this year. Seventeen so yep. far, I believe. Wow! Yeah, um, and then you just start putting like it's just a numbers game, you know. And anytime you have a moving object in an urban environment, like it doesn't matter what it is, something's going to happen. So 
it's not even doom and gloom. I think it's just like the reality of it. And the question is going to be like how well they iterate and um, how well they protect to make sure that it doesn't happen. And also how they design their vehicles so that if the worst happens, that the person is like not really injured. Yeah. Um, so, so just one little thought to, to sort of wrap this up because, uh, uh, or maybe, yeah, uh, contradict <laughs> we've been saying, right. I mean, there's, there is this definite sense that as we've been talking about in this episode and, and others that, you know, there's this trough of disillusionment and things are getting real and people, companies are getting more realistic. And, and that's certainly true investors as well, maybe, but on the other hand, one of the most ambitious and, uh, free spending investors, uh, has been SoftBank vision fund. Uh, and they just announced a $108 billion vision fund too. So uh, we may well see more, you know, a, a return of the hype, right? Because uh, that seems to have worked in terms of getting uh, SoftBank to invest. Um, maybe it'll work again. Maybe, maybe, maybe the hype cycle is ready to, to fire back up again. Oh. Yeah. SoftBank doesn't have to do early seed investing. They can come in late and they can, they were able to do that with Uber, for example. So that gives them, um, a lot of freedom. I see them concentrating their efforts on companies that they think are need that extra billion dollars to really make something happen. So, um, doesn't that describe every self-driving car company? No. Well, right. But it's going to be a particular few. I think it's going to be a small group. Right. Well, and they have already, uh, uh, placed a couple bets. Right. And I do see them going more into automation and logistics as well. Hmm. Cool. Well, my friend, you heard it here first. Let me to wrap this up. <laughs> Alex constantly says we need to wrap this up because he hates spending time with us. So I'm beginning to think Alex doesn't enjoy doing the Autonicast anymore. It's not true. I've got to return oh, yeah, to a special right. He's operation. He's got to go jump out of the plane or something. Yeah. So we'll see you all next week. And I think we're going to start having some more guests on. So um, yep. we will be back at it next week. Uh, Wait, shameless plug. Don't forget to check out autonicast.com. Sign up for our mailing list. Or you could go to humandriving.org and follow the good guys. Nice. All right. Well, on on that binary choice, uh, I, I, that, that just about does it, right? Yep. All right. We will see you here next time on another episode of the Autonicast. Bye.